This podcast is brought to you by LTASex.com. Live, laugh, love, LTA Sex. Welcome to Behind Closed Doors, the podcast where two polyamorous 20-something gay dudes from bumfuck Michigan show you what it really takes to have a <laughs> perfect relationship. I'm your host, Jerome Stuart Nichols, creator of LTSX.com. Most often, I'll be here talking to my partner and human pup, Submissive Bubby, but you'll also hear me chatting with various guests from time to time. You know, glossy Instagram selfies look great, but they don't tell the whole story. There's a hell of a lot that goes on behind closed doors that make strong, healthy, and sexually satisfying relationships. From the basics of communication and fighting fair, to full-time DS relationships and navigating the politics of polyamory, Behind Closed Doors offers you an honest, raw, and unedited look at what it's like to build and maintain the relationship that's right for you. To keep up with the show, you can always follow me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and the rest at Not Jerome Stewart and or at ltasexblog. You can visit ltasex.com slash behind closed doors for links to subscribe on Stitcher, YouTube, and iTunes, of course. Oh, and always, if you have questions you want answered or feedback about the show, send it to me, jerome at ltasex.info. But enough of this shilling bullshit. Let's get into the sex and relationships. It's not just that I'm working. It's that I don't like you... Needing to show me things, every little thing that you think is cool, because I don't think most of the shit you like is cool. And I humor you because it's important that you feel that the things you like are important and they are important to me because you like them. But a lot of times when you do that repeatedly, I just don't have the excess energy to tell you I like something that I kind of don't really care about eight times in a row. There's only so much faking I can do. Because if I tell you that I hate everything, you react badly. I mean, I hate everything. No. If I tell you that I don't give a fuck about truffles, stop telling me about truffles. You will get upset. Well, yeah, she's our baby. She is our baby, and that's true. I'm sorry, I just I think of her like a kid. She is our baby. She is our baby. I don't. But sometimes I just don't want to hear about how cute she is. Several times in a row, I'm I'm in the middle of doing something, and you know, you know I hate that, and you know that you've been doing it a lot over the past couple of days. Whether it's trying to reach for my hand several times, and me holding it for a few seconds and then letting it go, and then five minutes later you reaching for my hand again. Or you telling me how cute Truffles is and then me acknowledging you saying how cute Truffle is and listening to her and then, you know, agreeing and then going back to what I'm doing. And then five minutes later, you telling me that she's cooing again. I don't need to hear it. So, yes, I do need to be fake with you. I need to let you know that I'm not I don't care. And you need to stop bothering me. But I also can't just say to you, shut the fuck up about truffles. I don't care. That's rude as fuck. Exactly. There's no reason to I don't need to see her. That's how I truly 
honestly, deeply, in my heart of hearts feel about it. I don't need to see her five times. She looks exactly the same. She's making the exactly the same sounds. Don't get me wrong. She is cute. I love the sounds she makes. But I just don't need to hear about it so much. Because it doesn't change. And with me, once something has lost its novelty, unless I'm actually being affected by it, I no longer care. Okay? Make sense? Okay, cool. So, welcome to Behind Closed Doors. Uh, this this latest episode here. What you just heard was a mini Behind Closed Doors episode, which is unrelated to the show. I'm putting the microphone down, so hopefully there's not a lot of rocking noise. I'm tired of holding it. Um, so, like, yeah, that's probably really loud for you guys. Deal with it. I'm getting... Stop it. Jesus Christ. Okay. Right. So this episode of Behind Closed Doors is featuring a new friend of mine. Uh, his name is Ali Mushtaq, uh, M-U-S-H-T-A-Q. Um, he is, and I know I have the podcast to listen to, but I'm going to, I'm not guessing, I believe it's correct. He's Pakistani, um, doctoral candidate, and uh, he's based out of uh, California. And we spoke um, at length, this is actually a rather long episode, um, about like BDSM and kink in general, how it affects mental health, uh, being brown and kinky uh, in these spaces where, you know, our sex or the color of our skin is, you know, equated to our sexuality, meaning, you know, the darker we are, the more dominant we are um, or dominant in a very specific way. Um, I had probably the most fun I've had with a guest on this show since, like, Davey Ward. Um, I know she was the last guest, but she was, like, my favorite, favorite. <laughs> like, that was so much fun. Um, but I got to, we really got to, Jesus Christ, shut up, computer. It's your fault, Bubby. It's your fault. It's telling me that Words with Friends is here. Um, but... I'm going to stop talking because honestly, it's like after midnight and I want to get this episode out. I realized I didn't put it out last week or a couple days ago, so it's going to be going up on this coming Thursday. Um, I blame all of you guys for your bullshit and not reminding me. <laughs> um... But yeah, so here's the episode. Um, I hope that you all enjoy it. I hope that I'm going to get to have Ali Ali on again um, in the near future. I really, really liked having someone who was of color, but not but outside of like the black-white dichotomy. Like, him being brown, like actual, the actual color brown, um reddish brown maybe uh in skin color puts him in this unique place where a lot of people don't consider non-black people to ever uh sort of like exist 
Uh, and I mean black as in like the American black African American uh, type people. But we forget that there are all these others like Pakistanis. There's Desi. There's you know South Indian. Uh, there or not South Indian. Um, West Indian. Uh, there are people who are from Africa who are light. There's so many different types of skin tones. And he, listening to him talk about blackness, essentially, um, you know, as he talks about his skin color, it's very enlightening as, you know, a gay guy of color. And I like to really like hearing, um, you know, a fellow uh, kinky darky <laughs> um get to chat at limp um i hope you guys enjoy the episode episode um as always if you like the show make sure to support on patreon at patreon.com such keep it sexy i am going to keep it sexy and get into the show right about now so without further ado here's ali mushtaq on behind closed doors and here's the sex and relationships now let's figure out if I can end this recording soon enough so that it doesn't drag on too long. Bam! Got it. Uh, we're done. If there is something that I wanted to record, like a quick video on, that normally be like one or two minutes. Um, if you're willing to do that, I'd enjoy doing that. Can you hear me? You muted yourself, I think. I can still see you, but your microphone is muted. There it is. Oh, I can. Uh, there we go. Does that work? Okay. Yes, I can see. You. Okay, turn off your camera. Okay, turn off my camera. Okay. All right. Perfect. Okay. It just it just helps make the uh, audio stream a little cleaner. Got it. Got it. Got it. Is this good? Yeah. Perfect. Okay. Cool. Sorry, I'm like okay? tech literate. This is like one of my first times doing this, so I'm totally oh. like Google Hangout like novice. Oh wow! Well, welcome. Um, I'm glad to be in the Google Hangout Cherry. I'm happy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So, I know about you from your article, uh, "Beyond Blue, Black, and White" uh, on race in the leather community. Uh, but I don't really know that much else about you other than what it said in your uh, little bio at the end. Can you tell me a bit about like what you do? Okay, well, um, uh, professionally, I'm an academic. So right now I'm finishing off my PhD over at UCSF. And um, I, I, my work is in fitness and inequality and something called cultural capital, which is basically about um, these immaterial resources and how we reproduce status that way, um, mm-hmm. social status that way. Um, but like I'm looking at how cultural capital or these cultural resources work in terms of how bodies are made at the gym and how that works through race and class. Okay. Yeah. That is. That's what, that's what I do professionally. But in my spare time, I'm a uh, I I'm into swing dancing, a dance called West Coast Swing. So like okay. I I'm I'm basically working on uh, getting more competitive and competing and rising through the little ranks in their world and stuff like that. So that's what I do. Okay. So, okay. Okay. So many things I want to ask about. So first of all, what, what is West coast swing? How does that, how does that differ from like regular swing? 
So regular swing, uh, when we think of swing dancing, we're actually thinking about Lindy Hop, where everybody's like jumping around and pulsing and like they're dancing to like 1930s to 1950s kind of music. And Mm -hmm. that originated, obviously, in places like uh, Harlem. And that was sort of later co-opted into the other these other kind of communities. And what ended up happening was the music was dictated by the saxophone. So over time the dance floor started to get crowded and the music started changing and then blues started to take over the um these bars and clubs so then the dance started to change a little bit so what what uh so when blues we hear the harmonica which is a lot more sadder and more uh more slinkier so to speak than um the then the pulsing saxophone which is all about happiness so therefore the dance change and what we do is called west coast and that's where that sort of music originated from. And now we dance West Coast to like contemporary music, hip hop, R&B, pop, uh, blues music, jazz music, uh, country music. Uh, so anything that's in 4-4 time. But uh, essentially the difference between West Coast and Lindy is the fact that Lindy is very pulsy and jumpy and it's a 1930s, 1940s thing. Whereas West Coast is more contemporary and more bluesy and more slinkier than uh, Lindy hop. Okay, so that sounds a little sexier. Yeah, exactly. So think sex or after sex or or before sex. Or before sex. Okay, like foreplay. <laughs> yes, exactly. Okay. Okay, does it does it often lead to that in your case? Oh, well, usually in the straight community, I mean, I'm pretty sure that I'll sleep around with one one or one another. <laughs> like, you know, we have these con- things called conventions where the competitions are held. And, you know, everybody from around the world is there from places like Australia to Singapore to like Sweden to even places in the States like New York, Texas, Colorado, et cetera, et cetera. So, of course, like, you know, the meat market there is like, a you know, let's run around and go crazy. We're all in hotels and we're all drinking. So let's lead to, you know, let's do things. <laughs> it's basically like a nerdy sex party. Exactly. A hundred percent. That's it. <laughs> all right maybe i should get into the swing dance thing it's a lot of fun you know and and the thing is like you know it's and like uh, there are gay men that do it and obviously we all are slowly start uh, we all kind of know each other but um usually in the gay country bars this dance is kind of done as well so it's like all the gay like all the gay guys that are in the gay country dancing scene they're doing west coast and they're getting into it and it's really great hmm. okay yeah so when it comes to uh, your academic work, okay, mm-hmm. so you're looking at inequality mm-hmm. and you're looking at social, what was the word? Social cultural capital, capital. cultural yeah. capital. Thank you. Um, and I was sort of like, okay, first off, that's a really uh, thought provoking topic in and of itself. Just oh, like yeah. hearing hearing that phrase. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so cultural capital is a concept invented by this one sociologist called Pierre Bourdieu. Uh, and this was during like the 1960s, 1970s, where a lot of them were like, you know, getting over this sort of like Marxist approach where the entire structure, based, uh, social structure and economic structure basically, you know, creates everything. So if you heard anybody say everything is all about money and all of our society works all about money, um, we, they'd be advocating like a, ma- a Marxist approach. Um, and so Pierre Bourdieu said, well, wait a second, people kind of have free will and they kind of do things very differently. 
Um, but they're still doing it within a structure. So what he did was he came up with this idea of cultural capital in order to tie people's actions and their thoughts to the larger structure. So like, for example, um, like uh, this one, uh, a really good example that, you know, another sociologist gives the idea of child rearing and like the idea of like, oh, well, why is it that middle-class kids do A and why does, why do working class kids do B and how does that end up training them for their future class set? Um, so like the idea of working class parents uh, letting their kids run wild, whereas the middle and upper middle class uh, parents tend to make their kids um, uh, like they force them into like these schedules of like, you know, play and they're uh, having play dates and they're doing organized sports and they're doing homework and they're going to like tutoring centers, et cetera, et cetera. So it's like all those different practices that recreate or those cultural attitudes that recreate these other forms of inequality. So that's where the idea of cultural capital comes in. And so I'm looking at that concept in terms of uh, fitness. So like, how is it that guys through race and class recreate uh, certain body types that end up reproducing things like being middle class or being working class or being white, being uh, black, being Latino, et cetera, et cetera. And how does that work with their bodies and masculinity? Hmm. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's crazy. Isn't I, it? and it's, it's one of those topics. Like I, um, I'm not, I didn't go nearly as far as in my uh, college studies. I, I got my bachelor's in psychology a couple cool. of years ago. Um, and when I was getting up there in the later years was when I started to like really get interested in stuff, but it was getting like, uh, just too cerebral for me. But that's when they started talking about topics that I found to be more interesting and they were complex and new in this way. And I really appreciate, uh, someone looking at that. It's such a unusual topic that you wouldn't expect somebody to be going after, but it takes sort of like first-hand experience living in this world to even know that something's there that's worth studying yeah absolutely yeah and like for example like you know they have this concept called erotic capital which is basically an application of this where for example it's like what why is it that in certain like sexual institutions that what why are certain body parts more um, why is it more valued? So, for example, if you go to a bear bar, like, why is it that being big and, you know, and beefy, why is that more value than being leaner and skinny? So that's kind of what the, that's the sort of application of the concept. Um, or, for example, if you're in, uh, like, I, I don't know Michigan very well, but... Um, like, for example, for us, like, we have West Hollywood, and so it's like, why is it, uh, why are lean, twinkish, or muscular bodies valued in that area as opposed to being a bear? So that's that's the sort of uh, application of where cultural capital um, uh, works in the sex world. Okay. I, I would be interested to see um, some studies about when it comes to the digital age, when it comes to, like, apps and things. I've seen a lot of... Oh, uh, yeah. Like, like okay, Cupid type studies, but what what are we talking about? Like on Grinder or Growler or Grammar or whatever. <laughs> oh, those are always fun. I love the apps. Oh God, I'm like app crazy. The There's gra- so the many. The grammar, the scrappy app, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've met like some of my very best relationships off those apps. So yeah. like my fiance, I met him on Okay Cupid. Uh huh. Um, my uh my other partner, I met him on Scruff. Mm-hmm. Uh, another one of my partners I met on Adam for Adam. 
<laughs> so it's like I've been with these people for years and years and years and sort of like serious relationships and people often poo-poo, um, mm-hmm. you know, the sort of connections you can make on dating apps and such. Absolutely. And then so I guess an, an application would be like, for example, your profile and like not only that the picture that you're taking, but also the stats that you put in and like how you describe yourself. And then how is it that certain people are going to read that? So it's more likely for them to message you or not. And, you know, part of uh, like, I, I think this has been going around lately, like, for example, like if you if you categorize yourself as Asian, you know, on these certain apps, people are less likely to message you. Um, and so that's kind of the way like our bodies are read and stuff like that. It's, it's all cultural capital. Hmm. Do you find that to work out like you're South Asian, correct? Yeah. So I'm in, yeah, in America, I have a very I have a slightly different trajectory. Yeah. Okay. So like. Being South Asian, to me, when I see you, I don't automatically in my head, and I don't think most people would think Asian, even though mm-hmm. that is where you are ethnically from. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, what when you do you you put down Asian because that is correct on on your app well, profiles. It- and see that, yeah, and actually this is kind of where you hit like the conundrum because in America, we associate being Asian with being East Asian or Central Asian or even Southeast Asian. So we're talking right. Chinese, Vietnamese, Cambodian, Japanese, Korean, those kinds of Asian. Mm-hmm. But if you were to go to England, if you were to use the word Asian, you're essentially referring to people from Pakistan or India. Hmm. Which is my kind of Asian. So here, what I do is I actually list myself as Middle Eastern. Like, I know I literally have to <laughs> in order for pe- people to actually read me a certain way. Because the thing is, if I put Asian, then people are just automatically going to block my profiles. That's horrible. Yeah. It's horrible to have to do that. Yeah. And so it's like, it's not only, and that's the thing is that people kind of associate like the beard and the dark hair and like the furry body. They associate that with the Middle East. So that's where their assumption goes. You are Middle Eastern. And so it's like I have to almost play to their stereotype of me in order to get them to talk to me. That's so weird. You know what? I have that same issue uh, when it comes to dating. I am uh, more dominant and I'm a top and I'm a black guy. Mm -hmm. And that makes people uh, sort of assume that I'm going to be like this big hip hop rapping dude. And I'm just sort of like this happy go lucky sort of guy who does stuff and yeah i can get a towel yeah, yeah it's, it's not i'm, <laughs> I'm not tell. exactly from the hood exactly i'm from like oak park michigan so i'm just <laughs> midwestern average you know joe and it throws people off yeah um it throws people off a lot because they uh want me to be one way and i actually had to stop uh i had to like figure out ways to uh filter for those types of guys because they were starting to like really bother me i was feeling like you know should i be matching up to these stereotypes like why am i not like power topping everyone around like it's it's it made me start to question myself yeah yeah i see what you mean yeah yeah, and see, that's the thing. It's like, you know, as minor- as, as you know, ethnic minorities, I mean, this is just kind of something extra that we have to deal with. Because, I mean, like, there's so many different stereotypes associated with different pe- uh, people of different ethnic backgrounds. So, for example, you know, if you're Asian, people assume that you're submissive, especially in the gay community. Um, if you're uh, Black, people automatically assume that you're super, super dominant. Or if you're Middle Eastern, they think that you're super, super dominant. And, you know, 
it's like you know but then if you look at white i mean what do we what are the assumptions that we make about them and it's like there really aren't any and actually i pose this question to my students and they're like well you know maybe they're vanilla okay and it's like oh that's interesting so and obviously that's like an uh, we, we associate being vanilla with being but negative and boring but at the same time, it's like, well, no, that's like the standard, though. That's like, oh, you're neither dominant or submissive. It's like, you're just there. You're normal. Whereas the rest of us are just kind of like, oh, you know, you're too, you're, you're, you're overly submissive and it shows and your, and your underwear bulge shows it or you're overly dominant and you can see it, you know, through your underwear too. So they almost make that association between, you know, our bodies, our skin color and the, and, and our, and our behavior. And that's kind of where the article was coming from. Okay. Now I was curious, um, when it comes to you, your, your darker, uh, skin. Yeah. yeah. Um, you're more like my dark complexion, dark brown complexion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my t- my tinted moisturizer is called brown sugar. So I like to say, <laughs> I like to say that's what color I am. Um, so do you find that as opposed to, uh, say, another Pakistani guy who may be a bit lighter in skin, do you find that the, the stereotypes are different even with that sort of difference? I'm not sure that it would be different so much as like, I mean, sure, like the lighter skin folks, like, and this is probably same in the black and Latino communities where obviously the lighter skin folks are valued more socially. However, they're still, I mean, either way, they're still held to a different stereotype. I mean, or I mean, the same stereotype as uh, people of uh, that are people that are a little darker. Um, so, for example, like, I mean, you might be Middle Eastern and light skinned, but people will still know, they'll go, oh, Middle Eastern, that's so exotic. That means you're still A, B, C, D, and E. Yeah. So yeah, either yeah. way, the, the stereotype is still there, but like them getting through the door will be a little bit different as opposed to like with me. It's like, well, you're dark, so we can either take you or leave you kind of thing. to put it (laughs) i mean that's that's how they make it seem or like that's really what they're thinking or how they're feeling or how they're treating and and it's interesting and and this is why i chose the leather i mean uh actually i got into leather because of dance because i think leather and dance are like inextricably you know connected but um but leathers i mean leather is a lot of things but it's primarily about defining a community based on certain sexual interests or like an alternative set of sexual interests and the thing is you know because it's all it's about sex to a large degree that we're going to be navigating these spaces through sex and our understandings of sex and that's where you know the sexual stereotypes are i think highly pronounced it's because like it's like wow okay we're gonna be kinky and sexual or whatever or whatever but the thing is that we're still navigating our bodies and our 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 sexualities especially in these spaces through race and the way we look exactly we live every part of our life no matter what it is right no matter what yeah and it's just heavily pronounced it's i mean especially like this is where the sexual stereotypes will come into play where yes. it's like well okay he he's south asian well okay not south asian but he's now middle eastern so i'm gonna come up to him and i'm gonna go <laughs> sorry uh, i'm gonna go can you top me or can you can you flog me or can you whip me or dominate me and i'm like but wait a second you know just because i can doesn't necessarily mean that my ethnicity allows me to do that. Like I'm a person, like I'm, I think I'm a switch. I'm someone that goes 50, 50, um, submissive or dominant. And like, you know, I, I I just don't think that like the, the, the cue of my race is 
you know, the appropriate way to go. It's like, if I look at a white guy, it's like, oh, how do I know you're dominant or submissive? Well, I could probably tell based on a jockstrap or not. But I mean, apart from his skin color, I mean, there's nothing really there to tell me. So. Well, I mean, I've been, okay, this is something that I've been actually trying to figure out. It's yeah. not so much related to race. It's more related to uh, DS. So yeah. when I, I'm finding, um, trying to discover more uh, a bit about like what I find attractive in other yeah. men, right? Uh-huh. So one of the things I've found is that I really find men with a gentle look in their eye to be attractive. It's something mm-hmm. common among submissive people um, and the submiss- type of submissive boys that I like in particular. Mm-hmm. Now, it's interesting for me, and actually, you know what? It is related to race because I'm going to talk about this. One mm-hmm. of the problems I've had with this is being able to uh, discern that mm-hmm. look among different races. Mm-hmm. And like, like, what do you mean? Like, take take another black guy, for instance. Okay, it's rare for me to look at them and be able to automatically tell that they are submissive or dominant. It is normally my assumption, and I don't think further about it mm-hmm. that they would be dominant, like most people. Mm-hmm. Now, when I look at, let's say, a white guy who perhaps might have played football in high school. Mm-hmm. I'm often going to also put them in that dominant category. However, if they look, I don't know, maybe they're balding or something, I might say that they're more submissive. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of these different little cues. And I know for me, uh, when it comes to, let's say, white guys like my partner who are sort of like, Midwestern mm-hmm. everyman looking. Yeah, yeah. I saw pictures. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, like, he, to me, I find the way he looks in his face to be really attractive. Mm-hmm. Now, it's harder for me to find that among black men, but I really wish that I could. Uh, I do actually have one of my partners who just came back into my life, and I'm so happy about it. Um, he has that look, and it is really hot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And see, that's the thing is, like, especially with these, like, uh, ideas of preferences, like, I honestly think to a large degree, these preferences are learned because, like, you know, like, I learned, I'm pretty sure, like, I was not innately into BDSM and leather. Like, I when I moved up to San Francisco for school, like, I hung out with the, the country dancers who ended up hanging out at places like the Powerhouse and the San Francisco Eagle. So it was a natural thing for me to start learning about their sexual interests and what they did sexually and that's sort of transmitted by like diffusion and so it's like I learned this sort of you know esoteric taste of what I like to do sexually because I hung out with certain people so it's almost like you know I'm I'm experiencing and through that experience uh, I'm experiencing because I'm associating with certain kinds of people and you know even when it comes to things like race and stuff like that it's the same idea like it's like the more we're around certain different types of people and the more we're given like uh, positive images of different kinds of people the more we start to sexualize them um but actually the um the one little caveat to that would be like, oh, like, cause apparently like a friend of mine just got back from France, like during the whole is- uh, issue that happened yeah. a while ago. 
And he basically said, yeah, even though like the Muslims and the Arabs are highly stigmatized, uh, it's a completely racist society, like they tend to fetishize them and they exoticize them a lot. So it's like these people are not necessarily like, you know, nobody's going to sleep with an Arab man because, you know, he's associated with this kind of these particular groups of bad people. But also like they're going, oh, my God, now these kinds of people are so sexual now. So in that stigmatization of these kinds of uh, minorities, you get like apparently an eroticization of these minorities. I don't know if I'm saying that right. But see, here's the thing, though. It's like these things are learned, though, and these are created for us by not only media, but also by like other institutions, too. So and that's kind of the second part of that article where it's like if we don't have any leather representatives that are of color, you know, who, how are we going to reach out to the people that are not in the leather community and go, you, you know, you are, you know, I am Latino, come into the community and, you know, uh, you can exist with us kind of thing. Um, but again, like we have a lot of Latinas in Southern California that are title holders, but, um, but for example, if I'm black and I'm a title holder, I mean, there are several, I mean, this is not to say blacks don't become title holders, but rather there's a huge dearth of them. And like for that, for, these kinds of people, it's like, okay, so how do we get more minorities into kink and leather? How do we get them to feel comfortable uh, around these kinds of pe- uh, spaces? And how do we get them to, like, you know, say that, you know, just because you're not white doesn't mean, you know, you can't be into this kind of thing. And I myself have fallen victim to that feeling of uh, not being a part of that community. Part uh, of the reason why I. Uh, did not explore it until I met my white boyfriend uh, mm-hmm. was because it, it just felt like a white people thing. Ah. <laughs> so it just yeah. didn't seem like something that like black people did. And yeah. I knew that black people did do that. But as far as I knew, it was sort of like a behind closed doors mm-hmm. dun, 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 to bring in the show title um, sort of deal. <laughs> um, and, and it's interesting now that I'm getting more, uh, I guess communal mm-hmm. networking more, finding more people, getting you know interests that really interest me. It's 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 interesting how you know much more how doing things that interest you will also mm-hmm. net you interesting information. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. Jumble of words. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that that makes so much sense because like uh, uh, the president who talked to me about this, he actually said the same thing that if you're black, you tend to do these things in private. And this is not necessarily a public thing or something that we do as a community in our particular culture. Yeah, and that that tends to be true. Like a lot of the things um, that are taboo, it's not that we don't do them. It's Mm -hmm. that everyone does their own what my mother would say dirt. Ooh. And they just keep it. They just keep it quiet. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where that entire like down low culture that is so highly talked about in, in gay literature uh, yeah. is you know comes from. That's where that comes from. And I know mm-hmm. that um, you know people I'm close to are kinky, and you would never know it because they are average, middle class. Oh, upstanding, yeah. church-going Black people, but, you know, whips and chains and slings and stuff come out, you yeah. know, right after church service. So it's it's interesting. And that actually, that part of that going for what you want just, like, quietly thing is actually what makes me so willing mm-hmm. 
to try new things. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's interesting because then people pose the counter argument. Well, not, you know, uh, the, like the counter argument to why minorities aren't into leather. They essentially then go, well, okay, um, you're not, it's like, well, you guys aren't at our communities or you're not in our community. And uh, I don't think you guys, you guys are on the down low. So you're not, uh, you're, you know, you live in an incredibly homophobic, you know, culture or something. So therefore you're not technically going to be part of that. And that's where, you know, that's like the community's implicit assumptions come into play. And it's like, well, they're already making these assumptions without realizing that, no, that's not the case. I mean, people of color can be kinky. People of color can do things, but they do just you just they just do them in a different setting or a context. Uh, and, and that's something that, you know, other organizations have to keep reminding, like, the larger community about. It's like, remember, remember not everybody plays like you do. <laughs> exactly. And you know what's interesting? It's like, you can say that Black people aren't a part of the culture, but they have their own culture. And you yeah. could reach out to them in their yeah. own way absolutely. if you actually took the time to pay attention. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and that's the thing. It's like, people go, well, they're just not there. I'm like, no, no, they're there. It's just we're not doing a good uh, – and the, the main point of that article is that I don't think we're doing an effective job of outreach. And, like, you know, w- why is it that, for example, when we're watching porn at, say, like, The Eagle or something like that, like, why aren't we seeing actors that are of color? And so then that kind of goes back to then larger conversations of, well, what does it mean to be a porn star? Like, what is the difference between a porn star and a black porn star? You know, like, I thought we were all, you know, if you're in porn, you're fucking somebody. But, like, you know, it's like, no, no, there is there is a difference because what happens is we become a separate genre of porn. And it's like, exactly. well, it's like, and, 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 you know, but the thing is, like, we're all doing porn. And, like, and then it's like they're marketed differently and they become like, they're, you know, and, and, it, and it's not, and it doesn't seem fair that, you know, people of color are then their own genre of porn. <laughs> like, I'm like, I thought I was a human being just like you. But apparently not. I'm a special kind of human being that you I'm, don't want to tell your friends about. <laughs> I'm curious, what genre do they put people like you in? And that's like, the thing is, like, I... they would probably go like a hot Arab stud or like, okay, you know. Okay, that's what I thought. Because a lot of times I will look at porn and they will describe people who look like you like that. And I'm like, he doesn't look Arab. <laughs> right yeah and you know um i i don't even know like the extent to which like we actually do have many arab or middle east or south asian like porn stars i know that there are a couple out there and i've tried to reach out but they haven't contacted me um but like i i bet you in england though you'd have a lot of like south asian men in porn like if you go to good look at british porn because there's a lot more south asians in england so you might find like they might exist as a, their, their own genre of porn so we can just see yes. how that works over there yeah absolutely like I, I don't know about uh, people who are more in the like the South Indian or Desi category, yeah, yeah, yeah. or like even West Indian, really. But I know that there are um, companies called Arab Mail, right? And they have that. I know that. Um, uh, what is his name? Lucas, Michael Lucas, is that him? Yeah. He had a lot of times in his films. He'll have a lot of people of color, especially people from like um, Israel and people from you know just that. M- general area yeah it's just south asians tend to be that unspoken minority that's not yet palatable to the western experience i mean you know people like raised arms when nina davalori won miss america like a couple years back and they're like wow you're letting in a terrorist like you gave it to a terrorist it's like no she's indian she's not she's not she you know she, she's not uh, middle eastern she's not part of from that part of the world she's asian <laughs> look she's brown and and clearly clearly She's a Muslim. 
clearly. Right. Apparently, <laughs> yeah. Very, very, yeah. No, like she's and like you know, I was like when I when I saw that, I was like, oh my god, like this is like not only one, it's really interesting that they gave it to a South Asian, but like the reaction surrounding it was just like you know, oh my God, like, this is what people think about people from South Asia. <laughs> and they did, they so. do that every time that a new minority is finally able to, like, get that seal of approval from, like, mainstream culture. Like, yeah. uh, I believe it was earlier this year in Canada, a First First Nations uh, queen won it, won the, mm-hmm. the title for Canada, and people freaked out. They oh, were talking yeah. about how she's so political because <laughs> she's talking about issues that affect her. And like, like I was like, it's you like, people wow. are a mess. Well, let me tell you a little something. Hold on. And I, li- I like that she didn't back down on that either. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and, and it's, you know, for me, it's like when I watch that, I'm like, wow, there's hope. Wow. You know, like, uh, yeah, sure. Ashwarya, or they liked Ashwarya Rai like years ago. Oh my but gosh, I mean, she's so pretty. She's beautiful, drop dead gorgeous. But like, you know, they liked her, but then like, you know, there was that issue of colorism. Like she was very palatable to the Western palate. And then when you have Nino Dabaluri, who's like our skin tone, it's like, whoa, you know, it's somebody that actually looks like, you know, they're from that part of the world. It's like, okay. This is not to say Ashwarya Rai doesn't, but like, like she has a skin tone. That's yeah, there's a certain different. pale glow about her. Yeah. It's just like it's like she's just just light enough. Yeah, light enough to be like you know we like you, but not light enough to be like no, you're not a very you're not Western. You're not from the Western world, quote unquote. You know, like if that skin undertone was just a couple shades more red, we'd have to like we'd have to find another one. Sorry. Yeah, I'm looking at her picture. Yeah, you're definitely right. I know what you mean. Yeah. And like, and see, that's the thing. It's like she rides that fine line between familiar and exotic and that's all i think that's ultimately was so problematic for the western audiences um but like yeah and this is where i feel like i had to write that article because it's like where's our place at the table like we are the like essentially the invisible minority i mean i know a couple other south asians uh that one person i'm not gonna name his name but i'll call him rahul as i did in the article Uh um like you know and and it's interesting because like you know as we go through our lives we're taking very different paths paths like for me I went the onyx route where I it, it's essentially that that focuses it's an organization that focuses on leather men of color and including them in the community and those kind of things whereas his trajectory was a, a slightly different than mine where he wanted to stay more with the mainstream leather community so it was a very we took two like essentially different paths. Um, but, and that's the thing, it's like, you know, it, 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 not all minorities will always feel the same way, and we all have our own unique spin on the situation, but it's just to show that we're not, like, all unilaterally thinking the same thing, you know? Yeah. I, okay, so, I'm glad that you mentioned Onyx again. I want to talk about Onyx. Now, when I found it, I, um, one, need to stop banging this table. Um, when I found it, I found it on Tumblr. Mm-hmm. And up until having uh, read your article and finding that you were a member, I hadn't actually uh, looked any further into it. I'd planned to recently, but mm-hmm. um, seeing seeing it mentioned in in, in your bio or like in in the actual article uh-huh. um, just reminded me that I needed to do it. But can you tell me, or can you tell everyone listening, like how or like? 
what they can do to sort of get involved with Onyx and maybe a bit more about what it is and what you do. Sure, no problem. So, like, Onyx uh, was established around, what, 20, 20 years ago, 1995. And, you know, this organization essentially identified an issue with mainstream leather spaces and the fact that, you know, they weren't necessarily providing a space for men of color. Because up until that uh, standpoint, you know, um, you uh, sat, uh, at times, you know, if you happen to be black or of color, you'd be one of the only minorities in the bar. And sometimes you'd be overlooked or sometimes you'd be talked down to or sometimes you would be. Uh, or people would think certain things about you just because of your skin color. And so what happened was a group of five men, or leather men essentially, uh, got together and they said, well, wait a second, this is kind of an issue here. And, you know, and so since then, they started establishing their chapters. But then as they started to establish their chapters, they then grew nationally. So now we have a chapter in uh, that's in the Northeast chapter, which is centered in New York. We have the Southeast chapter that's centered in Atlanta. We have an, uh, the Midwest chapter that's centered around the Chicago area. We have Mid-Atlantic. And now in formation, we have Onyx Southwest, SoCal Southwest, which is centered around the LA area. Um, but for us in LA, um, we encompass LA, Orange County, Long Beach, and Palm Springs and San Diego. So we basically are the Southern California region. Um, and we're also like the neck, the, the um, hub organization for the neighboring states. So, for example, like Nevada, uh, somebody from Nevada can reach out to us and, want, and join us as an associate member. So, okay. yeah, so that's kind of what we do. Now, sad for me, conspicuously missing, um, was a Midwestern chapter? There was a Midwestern chapter, right. Okay. So where's that? I think it. I, I think it's in Chicago. Chicago. Hmm. So, I feel like there needs to be one here in Detroit. No, I'd love to. Yeah, go to Detroit, Detroit to see the leather men of color there. Yeah, I know. But I think that, we. Do, I think we do have members though that live in Michigan. I mean, I wouldn't doubt it. I mean, uh, people go to IML from here all the time, mm-hmm. and there are lots of uh, bear and leather bars in Detroit, oh, which is something I didn't know growing up. Uh, mm-hmm. But I'm glad that I know now in my kinkier adulthood <laughs> oh yeah i mean things are it seems like things just get better as you get older it does doesn't it yeah especially with the advent of the internet as we were talking about with apps and things you don't even need to go but it's fun yep yeah pretty much and you know and that's the thing it's like you know i i, I tell my younger brother this all the time i'm like you know you need it, as you grow up things actually just get better the older you get it's not that you know the 19-year-old, 20-year-old, 21-year-old, that's not the fun time. The fun time is in your mid-20s, 30s, 40s, and onward. Absolutely. And I have to say that the older, like, I am I just turned uh, 28 in September. Oh, nice. So I'm finding the older I get, the more I know myself, uh, the more I'm able to, like, enjoy things freely. Because I'm like, hold on, hold on, hold on. I pay my own fucking bills. You can shut the fuck up with your opinions and things. Mm-hmm. And that's, it's freeing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and see, and that's what uh, that's what's so wonderful about like the leather communities and bear communities is that you know age isn't necessarily an issue in these communities. It seems like as long as you're attractive, quote unquote, however the community defines it, then you're okay. 
you know, mm-hmm. your body type doesn't matter. Your age doesn't matter. But apparently our race still dies. <laughs> but, yes and no. I'm finding it matter less and less in the bear community. But, I mean. Tell me about that. Because, like, I saw, like, online, like, Mr. Like Puerto Rico bear got, a, a, like, a couple death threats for being very dark. Which um, is so rude. Yeah. But, like. I don't know. I guess here specifically. Okay, okay. Because the uh, concentration of people of color is so high. We have Dearborn, which is like the highest concentration of uh, people people of the Islamic faith outside of you know the middle or uh, the Middle East. Yeah. Um, we have Detroit, high population of Black people. We have um, Southwest Detroit, uh, Washtenaw County, That's and wonderful. Oakland County which are uh, high populations of Latinos, uh, specifically Mexican. Uh, and then we have uh, lots of other unique uh, ethnicities like Chaldeans who are Christians from Iraq. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have lots of Orthodox Jews. So it's this sort of odd state. That's <laughs> wonderful. It sounds great, though. I mean, so much diversity and so many different people. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's just, it sounds excellent. I mean, that's why I live in Southern California, because there's just so many different ethnic groups here. Like, diversity is just wonderful. So many different groups and cultures and so many different kinds of guys to experience. So, <laughs> And know, that has been so much fun. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I misspoke. He, he wasn't Mr. Puerto Rico. He was from Puerto Rico, but I think his title was from, like, Maryland or New York. Okay. Yeah, I misspoke. But, yeah, he got, like, apparently death threats for after he won the title and they called him certain um derogatory words because he what he happened to be darker skinned okay so yeah that's what i was referring to those bitches um okay so let's get into talking a bit more about like actual kink and bdsm yeah let's do it so what is sort of like, how, are are you, I'm assuming, that since you're a part of Onyx, you're more knowledgeable about leather and kink and that sort of thing? Well, you know, it's not just because of Onyx. I mean, I was fortunate enough to meet lots of people when I lived in San Francisco. And, and when I moved back down to L.A., like, I met certain people that, you know, also reined me in a little bit. And they taught me the ways of the community. They taught me... Um, uh they taught me how to do certain things and they they i was exposed to people doing certain things so it, that was so that my experiences and onyx sort of solidified it where it sort of provided provided like a actual organized community of like okay so we're gonna actually start doing workshops now and we're gonna actually start you know having uh events called the cornucopia of kink where we're playing and those kinds of things so yeah partially it was onyx as well Okay, I mean, do you, what are some of the things that you enjoy kink-wise? Oh, so my main thing is impact play. So, like, I'm, like, a flog and whip guy. I like Uh being flogged, and I like being whipped, and I like to flog, and I like to whip. Um, So that's, like, one of my favorite kinds of play. And um, my other kinds of favorite kinds of play are, like, um, bondage, uh, shibari, being rope-tied in a shibari robe, um... I like being suspended and uh, I have a, and, and those kinds of things. Okay, that sounds like a lot of fun. Um, oh, yeah. Okay. Like, these, are, these are a list of my favorite things. <laughs> I mean, it's a pretty good list. Well, I, I feel like I could be into more things as well. Uh, so, like, actually, I've tried fisting. I've tried um, 
different other kinds of kink as well. But like those are my favorite ones. I uh, so far I am enjoying impact play although there's been, there's been like some things on on my partners and which has made us not be able to do that recently uh but i enjoy a lot i had this particular instrument it was a bamboo i think it was called the bamboo slapper bamboo clapper or something like that from pipe dream it was like this um one inch by one inch uh long or two foot long rod thing that made a little Nice little clapping, snapping noise at impact. It was very nice. therapeutic. It also had a good little sting to it. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, it broke because oh. natural wood and it does that after you hit it a bunch. <laughs> nice, nice. I was able to get another one, but I don't know if I'm gonna buy a third one. That just that just seems so wasteful. Yeah. Oh, apparently needle play is an interesting experience too. Because apparently, like, that's a, a kind of play where you have to be, it's, like, super, super intimate. Like, you're you're putting needles into people's skin, essentially. And that's a, that apparently ca- creates a sort of natural high, you know? Hmm. I My partner definitely would be into needle play. Um, it is one of those things that I'm sort of holding off on, anything that it comes to, like, breaking the skin. I'm like... Uh, I I just give me some more time. I'm gonna work up. Yeah, to yeah. And I'm not squeamish. It's just like I don't feel like I'm grown enough to do that yet. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, see, I think I, I think trust and communication is a big part of that. When I you know, my during my first vlogging experience, like ever, I had it was actually with an Asian man. And it was at a gear up party in San Francisco. And like, sure, I got a couple, like, sure, there were a couple scars where the flog accidentally, like, uh, hit, touched my armpit. But it was really about building not only that connection and trust, but it really took me into this really gray area where I was just like completely mentally broken. And from that brokenness, I was so vulnerable. It was just so intense and it was so wonderful. It's like, and he was actually there to make sure like I was okay and the aftercare happened. And, you know, it was just a, a, a delightful experience. And from then on, I'm like, this is my thing. Aww. And I, lo- I mean, I love other kinds of kinks. It's just, that's where I was like, wow, you could break somebody down and then build them back up again. That's just amazing. Kink is really, really powerful. Oh, yeah. It's, um, I've been, we, are in a full-time uh, DS relationship uh, with a puppy play uh, sort of twist. Uh, mm-hmm. cool. And for me, I'm trying to, one of the things I'm working on right now is trying to sort of decipher what this whole dominance thing means to me, what it does for me, why mm-hmm. I like it, mm-hmm. why it's so tied to my emotions and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was interesting today uh, after like a few weeks, he had, he has borderline personality disorder, oh. um, and that causes him to uh, have outbursts of like emotions sometimes when he's like scared or worried. And right now he's sick. Uh, oh, sorry. So, yeah, for the first time in a little while, he's had to deal with like sort of like being stressed out and anxiety and blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. Um, so he had for the first time in a little bit, sort of had a, another episode mm-hmm. and for the first time in a little bit, I found myself not feeling uh, that rush of like being in charge and I've got this in order and um, that sort of clarity of what to do and 
all the things that come along with that sort of Dom headspace for me. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting to sort of walk that back and talk with him uh, about it because it's the first time we've been able to do so. Yeah. Uh, I, I, For me, it just seems to be that when he is anxious, he's not in his uh, puppy headspace and mm-hmm. it uh, puts me on edge because he is important to me and he is, yeah, absolutely. You know, I agree. I'm super sensitive to his emotions. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, cause you care about him and you love him and that's the most important thing. It's like, you know, let's make sure he's okay first and then we can figure out the fun stuff later. Right. And it's interesting because I'm not particularly, um, sympathetic or empathetic I'm finding in my in my older years. Um, but when it comes to the people who I've sort of like bonded with, they are very close to me. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm very like uh connected to their emotional states. Yeah. Through like pattern watching. That's yeah. how I how I manage it. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with you. And I think that's what um, BDSM and leather do. And this is just kind of like an anecdotal thing that I just based off of my experience. And I think, you know, we live in a society where everything is so loose. You know, all of our bonds that we build with each other are just so fleeting. And, you know, everybody moves, they they go away or they move into somewhere else. And, you know, and then that's just because of the, our, our economic conditions. Like, you know, people are working like two or three jobs, you know, sometimes they can't afford to live in one place. So they move to another is, this is especially the case in California. Um, and, you know, I think when that all happens, it's like, you know, we lose our ability to genuinely connect with one another. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to say that hookup applications are the reasons for this, but, at the same time, I mean, it essentially treats us all like, you know, profiles. And if this profile doesn't work, then another profile. So, and I think this is what leather BDSM contributes is this idea that you, you know, you need to be, you know, we can, we need to do something with each other as guys that'll really connect us to one another. And that's where, you know, play happens, where we we can be super aware of each other. And, and I think dance teaches us the same lesson because you're actually, you know, connected to a person, uh, when you're dancing, you're, well, you're supposed to be connected to a person. So it's like, mm-hmm. for example, if I do a move, my my follow will feel it ten times. Uh, so it's like if I do something awkward, she'll feel it ten times, and it'll be even awkward, more awkward for her. So like, it's the same thing with leather and sex, and I think that that's where you know BDSM helps us to reconnect to people, and uh, and it gets we get back in the whole like I care about you and I can empathize with you and I know what you're going through and I really care about you and that's and I think that's you know a really really good uh, quality of BDSM. Yeah, and it's one that people don't often acknowledge. Yeah, and I find um, part of the reason or part of what I've done to help myself sort of explore uh, the kinkier side of me is like following people on say Tumblr. Uh, That's where I found Onyx, for example. Because I was looking for like images and like a community of people who were brown of any measure and, you know, interested in that. And there are so few blogs, so few, you know, it's, I, I was so excited to find it, but I've also found people who are doing like puppy play. And these are people of many different races, actually. Yeah. Um, that seems, it seems to be a growing kink. It, 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 yeah. And actually, you know, 
I think I actually have some thoughts on that too, in terms of like the, the community, the direction the leather community is going in. Um, uh-huh. And I think a, a largely a lot of it is driven by economics. Um, and again, like it's because, you know, what's easier to afford, you know, it's, is, you know, is a $400 harness more, is it, is it, is it more viable than like a, a puppy hood, which is like what, like a, like 75 to hundred bucks. Right. Mm-hmm. So like, I think, and see, this is what goes back to that idea of cultural capital. It's like our conditions create what we find sexy or what we can do sexually. And, and, and that's what gives us our practices. And that's where I think we see a, the growing amount of pup play is, you know, it, it's because essentially it, it's easier to do. It fits with everybody's schedule. Once you're in the pup headspace, you know, it's easier to go back out of it and go back to work as opposed to living full time, you know, as somebody's sub, uh, sub essentially. Right. Mm-hmm. So so that's the thing is that like the economics largely drive our um, desires and and but I think down here though, like for example, we had a pub contest, and largely a lot of them look like uh, they, they they weren't minorities. They they I, if you look at <laughs> if you look at the if you look at the pictures in terms of who were the contestants and stuff like that, they essentially looked like uh, Google workers. <laughs> um, well, that's who's so, there. Yeah, and, and and well, but this is in California, so I'm just like yes. okay, like. Huh. So is this our essential? I mean, sure, we can be a minority and be into pup play and stuff like that. We have, you know, mountain men that are into pup play. But it's like, how do we extend this kink to be more palatable for minorities and be like, yeah, this is something you can do. And this is kind of where Onyx comes into play, where, like, for example, some one of our members was exploring pup play. So he bought a puppy mask and he started wearing it to our functions. And so he acted like it like he got he tried to get into the pup headspace. And it was really and it was really a journey for him. Um, and he's and that's and we hope that he continues with us and we hope that he continues to explore. And that's really beautiful that you can sort of build that into like in a public space where there's like support and guidance and safety. Yeah. And you know, that's the thing. It's like, uh, we really just ultimately want to create a safe space, not just for minorities, but also for everybody, because the thing is leather is for everybody. But the thing is that when we start to say, when we start to make it seem like leather one way or another way, then we start to run into some problems. Um, I was at a going away party for a friend of mine. They're moving to Germany and, um, this one guy was like, oh, well, I'm Latino. And I didn't think kink and leather was for me because I'm, I'm Latino. Um, and I'm like, no, 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 no. We, we have plenty of Latinos in our community. Uh, just come down to one of our functions and you'll start to see that it's okay to explore. You know, it's, it's there for everybody. Mm-hmm. And okay. We even have white members in our ranks as associate members. So like Onyx doesn't discriminate against anybody. It's just the idea that uh, 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 essentially a full member would be somebody of color, but whites join as associate members. And that's perfectly fine. Yeah. That's the way you sort of build a cohesive community. Yeah, because I mean, making we're not those... assuming that all whites are racist. I mean, we're not assuming that all whites are going to be racist. In fact, some whites are allies to us. And lo- there are several uh, associate members that are white that even has have the Onyx last name. And that's because they're so dedicated to our cause. Um, oh. so, so, yeah. Okay, so I'm actually glad, going back a little bit, I'm actually glad that you brought up uh, the idea of, like, what's causing the rise in puppy play, because I have a few thoughts about it as well. 
because for me in my the scenarios that I find found myself in, it is this sort of treatment for mental health issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that's interesting. Yeah, I kind of see that because there are a lot of people that I'm noticing they they seem to be coming from backgrounds where they are a little unstable, and they're like, "Oh, the pub communities helped me found A, B, C, D, and E." I'm like, "That's exactly. really interesting." <laughs> and you know what i I was um I related to the mental health thing because a lot of what uh the the sort of uh, more behavioral treatments for like uh, psychological issues deal with reconstructing, let's say the, the, the systems and behaviors and the patterns you would have developed had you had a stronger support system as a child. Um, It's like rebuilding them for yourself as an adult. That's a a lot of what it focuses on. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So when it comes to pup play, what is pup play doing? It is something that is giving you um, guidelines. It's something that's giving you somebody you're accountable to. It's something, somebody that huh. gives you like unconditional love. Yeah. And it, it, it makes this sort of, um, it puts you in the place of getting the love that sort of like showering of like great, loving, super gentle, caring attention that we pour on our puppies but you're getting it in a human way that also allows you to make a connection with someone that you like. That's actually a very, very, like right now my, I'm, I'm having like an aha moment as Oprah would say. <laughs> and like, awesome. that's, a, that's a very wonderful point that you're making because I think that, um, uh, because it's interesting because you wouldn't like in the pub community. Now I'm not really familiar with it considering I'm not in, I'm not, I don't necessarily go into pub play a lot, but, you would like. I'm, are there practices where you wouldn't necessarily hit a pup, like with a uh, with like a flog or like a whip, right? No, not really. Like my right. puppy, he um, he. Okay, so he lost his memory. He had right. uh, amnesia about. It's been about a year and two months now, so about 14, 14 months. Um, and before the amnesia, he mm-hmm. had been more into impact play. He had been more. He had been like a cutter. Um, mm. He'd been more into like self harm and that sort of thing. Post amnesia, yeah. he requires a much more gentle hand. That's interesting, because yeah, because because I mean, I see, I certainly see a shift in terms of what kinks are coming in and what kinks are going out, and I think a lot of impact play is sort of on the down on like the sort of downfall and i think that the pup play which is i think lighter is more on the upswing and yes yeah and see and see that's the thing it's like you would never hit a pup with a flog or a whip and like it's interesting because then for me that somebody uh as i come from i guess more uh different socialization but you know for me i'm all about like getting beaten or getting like flog or flogging somebody that's mm-hmm. just kind of my socialization and, I li- and that's something i just like and like i'm just and i find it interesting because it's like you would never mix impact play or that kind of impact play with pup play so see again it's dependent on the time period and like the mm-hmm. context in which because i because like you're telling me and, and this is where i'm having the aha moment where if these people are coming into the community that are having these problems and they need a sort of gentler hand with the pup play, then that tells me a lot about the economic conditions that we're facing 
And it tells us that we're living in such a period of instability and such social breakdown and communal breakdown that like, this is how our kinks are manifesting. It's, it's manifesting in a sort of lighter way as opposed to, you know, being like wailed on for about two hours straight. So that's exactly. a really fascinating observation. And that, that actually makes me like the brainstorm a lot more about this community. And it actually, um, I think it's an interesting commentary on masculinity as well, Mm -hmm. uh, because we're heading into this new generation. And I want to say that, like, say, public figures like a Barack Obama, a Drake, Mm -hmm. a Kanye West, who are more emotional. I know. Yes. Oh, my (laughs) God. Especially now that he's got those beard and he's like all thick and stuff. It's just like. (laughs) I know, right? I love it. Yes, it's great. Oh, God. Now he's turning into like a daddy and i'm just like oh god i I want hot it's really hot yeah i want to collar him so bad um (laughs) (laughs) but um it's it's um these type of men who are becoming the type of man that people aspire to be Mm -hmm. they are not macho macho in fact they cry a lot and they whine a lot and they're very like emotionally all over the place and like as they say on one of my favorite podcasts, The Read, they're like, he's got, you know, all these typical light skin problems. And I'm like, I think that is interesting Mm -hmm. because we are shifting from a masculinity that is more Mm hard-edged and that is more um, resilient and stone and stoic. Mm -hmm. And that often requires the physical stimulation mm-hmm. of say impact play. Mm-hmm. And now we're moving into a generation that real that like that was raised by parents who are not so much into the corporal punishment. They're more in tune with their feelings. They're more apt to send a kid to therapy. You know, we're watching, you know, TV shows and we have the internet and we have people talking about their feelings and their mm. forums and all these other things. And so there is like this complete shift that's happening as we gain more knowledge about ourselves mm-hmm. and how to live in like this modern world. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah you know and, and actually this is where my research comes into play which is like oh my god it's so masculinities yay um but i was gonna i was gonna just briefly mention that i drink my problems away so i don't go to therapy i go to the bar <laughs> <laughs> and that's a common thing <laughs> but but um but see, and I think that this is, and, and with the emergence of dad bod, for example, it's interesting because, again, only certain people can get away with that, though, because I think, like, for example, if a guy got bigger and more chunkier, like, that's apparently more socially acceptable than if a woman got, you know, bigger, because she apparently pays a price for it. And so, Unless like, he's got an hourglass figure. Exactly. But, like, you know, the idea of, like, you know, where where does the body come into play? And, like, that's kind of what, I, I'm sorry, I have a cold. Um, but where does the body come into play when guys build their bodies? Like, so for example, where does race come in? Um, like the idea of like, for example, if you're Latino and you're dealing with a culture of like machismo, for example, your body's going to look, probably look a little bit more beefier than say Mm -hmm. somebody who comes from a culture of, well, oh, it's all about health. It's all about, you know, eating smaller portions and leaning out all the time and those kinds of things. So it's interesting that how a guy's social position, like, or, you know, if he's rich or he's poor or he's Latino or, or whatever, <coughs> whatever, how that affects the kind of masculinity he ends up developing. 
And that's kind of what I'm interested in is like, for me, it's not about just a one kind of masculinity, but it's about multiple kinds of masculinities. And it's about like how, for example, like, you know, if I were to go on Growler, like, why is it that, you know, we have this image of a bear that's usually this sort of white, chunky guy, as opposed mm-hmm. to somebody who's black or Latino or Asian. Uh, and what happens to these minorities that don't fit that standard? Um, and so that's where I'm like, okay, so are we allowed to be softer or is it certain people that are allowed to be softer? Because I know, like, for example, there's a lot of black men that look that have really like strong physiques, but people would go for the white bear as mm-hmm. opposed to the black man. Right. With this, and see, and this is not to say that the black mayor is less valuable or the white bear is less valuable, but this is saying that, like, you know, who's bought, who's who's allowed to get chunky? How are they allowed to get chunky? And you know, who's about whose bodies are valuable? Um, and and that's where the whole I think hard and soft thing comes into play. It's like if I became, I mean, you know, I I tend to peek over in the grammar land, which you mentioned, and I noticed mm-hmm. that a lot of the community tends to be, you know, focused on white bodies. And it's like, well, wait a second, if I did this as an uh, ethnic minority, would my body be equally as valued? So not on grammar, but if you go over to bigger city, yes. Yeah, see, and that's the thing. It's like I it, and there's all these different complications of like context. Yeah. So then it's like you know, not only is the body then being read by certain people, but also it's it it's happening in different contexts. And I, I find it interesting mm-hmm. how the discussion on acceptability is shifting mm-hmm. as we get into this more one neighborhood sort of mindset uh-huh uh you know with the internet and how connected we are because here in michigan like in the detroit area let's say yeah it is absurd to come across a, a guy who would be like i don't date black guys like it's just when you see those people they are absurd uh-huh because that's a huge part of the population. Yeah and, in, yeah. and in fact, when it comes to gay communities and the queer community as a whole, mm-hmm. people of color are a way like bigger part of the population than white people. And black people specifically take up a huge portion of these communities. So in order for you to like live here and, <laughs> and say that is just like, wow, okay, well you would go enjoy your sex. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I agree. I, I and it's like, you know, what are you in, in, in Southern California? It's white and Latino. So anybody who's not white and Latino, go away kind of thing. Um, yeah. And see, that's so so see, it, it depends. Our, our sexual preferences depend on place. And it's like, if you said no black guys in Detroit, you're basically crazy. Like, well, yeah. you can have sex with. <laughs> exactly. Like, unless you want to drive for like an hour and a half out to you know Oakland County or something, like I want to do that. It's too much work. Yeah, it's yeah, that's not cool. You're gonna drive an hour and away just to like you know hook up for like twenty minutes, like exactly. Uh, and you don't even know if the dick's gonna be good. Like, let's be real. Yeah, how do you know? How do you know? Pictures are gonna tell. Our, pictures never tell everything. Like exactly. You know. No, but honestly. For me, I find um, it interesting, going back to, let's say, puppy play. On my end, I'm not a puppy. Mm-hmm. I am, you know, I'm not a sir. I'm, I, I 
I my title is Mister. Mm-hmm. Because for me and him, the only reason why we even started doing this is because he brought it up. Yeah. And I did it for him because one, I thought it was interesting. I didn't have any like objections to it. So I was like, sure, why not? Mm-hmm. And also I wanted to do something for him that it seemed like it would be really helpful mm-hmm. because the way he presented it to me just gave me this sort of feeling like he needed this. Mm-hmm. And I was happy to be the one to do it for him. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, that's good. And uh, for me, it's become this thing where like, I'm his mister. I'm his protector. Mm-hmm. I am the one who's supposed to be the nicest to him. I'm supposed to take care of him. It is my job to, you know, help him grow and, uh, you know, help myself grow so that I can be better for him. Yeah. And it's it's this really sort of powerful driving force in my life from being just nothing, you know, two years ago. Mm-hmm. It's, I don't know. It's just interesting for me to think about. I, I, (sighs) yeah, you know, and and I think, you know, different relationships are, you know, I I think in the pub community, they call the the dominant one handlers, correct? Um, Yes. Yeah. So yeah, there's obviously, you know, different couples will, or different uh, players will will do things differently. Um, Yeah. I don't know. It's just, it's it's good like i i i just it's good (laughs) i mean for for me like i don't know like if i had a boy like it would i would be like you're a boy i'm your sir um and then if i were somebody's boy i'm their boy and they're my sir (laughs) i i i don't know what or or i don't i'm not sure what other language i would use to describe it but i mean maybe that would depend on the person i was with at that particular time so Mm -hmm. And, and and that would obviously talk about the relationship that I'm in and like establish like the boundaries and not um, just kind of like with your relationship, like you're the mister, not the handler. Yeah. And I, I don't even really use the term handler. Yeah. Because I don't, that's not a term I use just like in regular language. Yeah. 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 And I think that, and I think, I don't know, like it, it just would depend on the couple at that point. Or and I, up the players in that relationship. And I have to say that that's one of the things I actually love about BDSM in general is that it is so customizable. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You can make it anything you want it to be, and it can be absolutely everything and work out. Because all you have to do is negotiate it and agree. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and And that's the thing, you know, especially with Onyx, like... You know, apparently, like for some, like to be flo- like to to be flogged as a black man by a white man, it for some for some, it, I hear it's a very traumatic experience because they're essentially reliving, you know, the, these horrible uh, times and histories where blacks were slaves. So it, it, BDSM has different meanings for everybody, and as a group, we can negotiate that and figure out for ourselves where do we fall on that spectrum. And, you know, does that make us more likely or not to go into certain forms of play because of that? Um, and I thought that was a very interesting thing that I was learned. I, I, I learned being an Onyx. It's like, wow, I didn't realize, you know, black men saw things that way. Because, and again, it's just, I'm, I'm learning by interacting. And that's beautiful. 
I love that part of the community, and I love that an organization like Onyx, Onyx exists. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are at like we're just about a time we can uh-huh. call it. So, um, can you tell people where they can like find you and your work and your stuff, and maybe where they can find like more on Onyx? Well, apparently, like, nobody reads any of my academic publications. <laughs> I was reading the leather article, but all my academic stuff, which is totally fine. But, like, you know, you can uh, find my article at uh, leatherati.com, and you can just essentially Google Leatherati and be on uh, blue, black, and white, uh, and then you'll see my article. Otherwise, you can email me at leatherali99 at gmail.com. That is L E A. T-H-E-R, leather, Ali, A-L-I, 99 at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. And I, on when pe- the show actually is released, um, I will have recorded an intro to it where I tell people that your name is Ali Mushtak, but we've never said it on the show thus far. So <laughs> that is who you would be reading. Yes, I'm uh, Ali Mushtak. Yeah, Mushtak, the weird last name that everybody can't pronounce. <laughs> how'd I do? Oh, you did good. But okay, like, cool. most people can't pronounce it. And I'm like, yeah, that's just going to happen. <laughs> I mean, yeah, honestly, I, I, that is one thing that has bothered me since childhood. Mm-hmm. I would have this thing where people would mispronounce my last name. Um, my last name is Nichols. It's not mm. that hard. Yeah. Um, but they would see Nichols, and they would say Nicholson because that is oh. the one that they've heard before. Oh, okay. And it really pissed me off because it only happened with the white teachers, and it always made me feel sort of like, oh, all right, you're a bitch. Okay. Oh. <sighs> and this was like even in like second grade. So, oh no! Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, but you know, it's. I, I I understand, you know, Liza yeah. with a Z, you know, not Lisa with an S. So yeah, every, yeah everyone's had their struggles. A Q, not a G. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Oh boy. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool. So thank you so much for being on the show. It was Absolutely. so good talking to you. It was fun. Okay. Do you can anybody find you on like on Twitter? Are you on oh, Twitter? I- yeah, you know, everybody wants to do the Twitter thing now that the article's up. Maybe I might, I might, um, I might, I guess, have a Twitter. I'll, I'll, I guess, I'll start a Twitter then, and I'll, I'll let you know, and you can post it. Oh my God, you okay? Hold on, you should try and go do it right now because I want to see something. I'm gonna go to twitter.com. Okay. Slash m u s t a q. Uh, m u s h t a q. Yes. Okay. Does hey, that exist? I'll, I'll start a Twitter account. Because I want to see it. Because that would be perfect. Actually, okay. it's somebody Mushtaq Ahmed. But. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll, I'll create a Twitter account. And then I'll, I'll, I'll let you know. I'll, I'll make it actually Leather Ali. And then that way. Leather Ali? Oh, leather Ali. Like, it's perfect. like Leather Ali, but not, not Leather Ali. It's Leather Ali. <laughs> I'm, I'm really silly. I, I guess I'll keep my leather stuff in one little. Um, yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. Okay, well, that is all awesome. Yay! Perfect. Um, Alrighty. Let me see. How do I get this thing back? Okay, the tab is back, and I'm going to stop the recording now. <laughs>